Good day to you, friends. It is August 20th. My name is David McAdam, podcasting from Concord, Massachusetts, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide. It is good to have you with us. We are reading what author Vishal Mangalwadi called the book that made your world. That's right, the Bible. He writes, quote, The Word of God stands above us, judges us, and calls us back to sanity. Repeatedly through Bible history, the Jews degenerated into wickedness. The revelation, however, remained a transcendent standard that promoted self-criticism and reform. It even deconstructed false ideologies that people built around the revelation. That prophetic tradition of self-criticism made the Jews a blessing to the world. Revelation was the source by which humanity could know God's love and judgment simultaneously. End quote. We know from our Bible reading that the transcendent standard that Vishal Mangalwadi is talking about is God's self-revelation. And this self-revelatory word was made flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Christ, our Deliverer. We are reading the Old Testament book of Esther today and will continue with the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians in the New Testament. We have seen that the chief actor in the book of Esther is hidden. It is the greater and truer Esther, the greater and truer Mordecai. It is the covenant-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who is providentially preserving the ancestral line of the Messiah as he orchestrates situations to provide a dramatic deliverance for his covenant people of Israel, turning the table upon their enemies. So let's see how God is at work providing these dramatic reversals in the history of the Jews. We begin with Esther chapter 8. Esther saves the Jews. Esther chapter 8 verse 1. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews, in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the twenty-third day. And an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to each province in its own script, and to teach each people in its own language, and also to the Jews in their script and their language. 
and he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On one day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers, mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service, rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown, and a robe of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor, and in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. The Jews destroy their enemies. Chapter 9. Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand against them for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces, for the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed five hundred men, and also killed Parshandatha and Dalphon and Espatha, and Paratha and Adalia and Aradatha, and Parmashta and Arasai and Aradai and Vizatha, the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. But they laid no hand on the plunder. That very day, the number of those killed in Susa the citadel was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, In Susa the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed five hundred men, and also the ten sons of Haman. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to this day's edict, and let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa, and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and they killed three hundred men in Susa, 
but they laid no hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews, who were in the king's provinces, also gathered to defend their lives, and got relief from their enemies, and killed seventy-five thousand of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. This was on the thirteenth day of the month of Adar, and on the fourteenth day they rested, and made that a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the thirteenth day and on the fourteenth, and they rested on the fifteenth day, making that a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore the Jews of the villages, who live in the rural towns, hold the fourteenth day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting, as a holiday, and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the fourteenth day of the month of Adar and also the fifteenth day of the same year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do, and what Mordecai had written on them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast poor, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim, or Purim, after the Pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter, and of what they had faced in this matter, and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them, that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, and Mordecai the Jew, gave full written authority, confirming this second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, in words of peace and truth, that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them, and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and their lamenting. The command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. The Greatness of Mordecai Chapter 10 King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might, and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. This concludes today's portion of our reading from the Old Testament, and it concludes the book of Esther.
Let's take a few moments to recap and reflect upon these dramatic reversals in history. King Xerxes' anger subsided when Haman was killed in Esther chapter 7, verse 10. What provoked his anger had more to do with Haman falling upon the queen's couch in an apparent assault upon her than it did the fact that Haman had ordered the annihilation of the Jews. One Bible commentator, Karen H. Jobes, the NIV application commentary, points out the irony that Haman's injured pride drove him to plot the destruction of Mordecai and the Jews, and the king's injured pride drove him to execute Haman. An Eastern custom is that the property of an executed traitor is confiscated and delivered to the king, or the one who was wronged by the traitor. King Xerxes gave the property belonging to Haman to Esther, because in his eyes she had been wronged. Whereas the possessions of Haman are given to Esther, the former authority belonging to Haman is given by the king to Mordecai, the king's savior. Esther, in turn, gives Mordecai what she has just received from the king of the authority and ownership of the former possessions of Haman. Whereas Esther was once an orphan receiving all wealth and empowerment from her cousin Mordecai, now Mordecai is receiving wealth and empowerment from Esther. Esther pleads for the salvation of her people. However, all the power, authority, and riches of this world cannot save a person from the irreversible law of death. Such is the law written in our humanity. The wages of sin is death. It is appointed for men once to die. In Romans chapter 6 verse 23a and Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. However, Mordecai and Esther now have power and authority equal to that which was once held by Haman. They have the ability to write into law a decree that would counteract Haman's decree with an equal, if not transcendent, force. This reminds us that, in the hidden counsels of God, Christ, having fulfilled the law of righteousness and finished perfectly the work of redemption, was given all authority and power to counteract the law of sin and death written into the history of the old man Adam. He satisfies the demands of the law of righteousness on our behalf, nailing to the cross the Adamic nature with its history of our sin that condemned us. He who fulfilled the law by putting the old man to death now fulfills the law within us by giving us a new law, the gift of the Spirit, the operation of the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, in Romans chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. The law that condemned us is fulfilled by the royal law of love, in James chapter 2, verse 8. Against the perfections of Christ's life, there is no law and no condemnation, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, and Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. We can only love this way by the virtue and power of his indwelling life, Romans chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. Whereas Haman's decree authorized and empowered the Persians to slay the Jews, this decree authorized and empowered the Jews to defend themselves against those who would attempt to kill them. Notice that Mordecai's edict was proportionate to Haman's, even in its wording. Haman had decreed that the citizens, number one, destroy, number two, kill, and number three, annihilate the Jews, both young and old, women and children, and to, number four, plunder their property, in Esther chapter 3, verse 13. Mordecai authorizes and empowers the Jews to stand against the scope of Haman's edict, detail for detail. 
He gives the Jews the right to assemble and protect themselves to, number one, destroy, number two, to kill, and number three, to annihilate any armed force that might attack them and their women and children, and to, number four, plunder the property of their enemies. What we find here may sound harsh, but it is a provisional law of just retribution. The Persians who attempt to kill the Jews on the 13th of Adar are the aggressors. The Jews are authorized and empowered to defend themselves to the same measure that they are being attacked. When the day comes, they defend themselves against their attackers, but do not take their plunder. In Esther chapter 9 verses 10, 15, and 16. The Jews rejoiced with celebration and feasting upon hearing of the new law, even though the actual day of battle was many months away. Have you been counting how many feasts we have witnessed so far in the book of Esther? This is the eighth, if we count the private meal of Haman and Xerxes in Esther chapter 3, verse 15. There are two more to go, as there will be ten in all. Just days earlier, Mordecai had been dressed in sackcloth and ashes and went through the city weeping and wailing. He could not enter the king's gate or presence in that state. Now he is dressed in the finest of the king's robes of blue and white, with a golden crown on his head and purple robe of fine linen. He is seen coming out from the king's presence, authorized to make laws with the king's ring. Instead of weeping and wailing throughout the empire, there is shouting and rejoicing. Notice what happened when Haman's edict was published. In each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. Esther chapter 4, verse 3. Contrast this with what happens when Mordecai's edict is published. In each and every province, and in each and every city, wherever the king's commandment and his decree arrived, there was gladness and joy for the Jews, a feast and a holiday, and many among the peoples of the land became Jews, for the dread of the Jews had fallen on them. Esther chapter 8, verse 17. Haman's sudden demise and Mordecai's sudden rise to the highest office did not go unnoticed by the general populace. The reversal was recognized as such a supernatural turn of events that many people from other nationalities became Jews because the fear of the Jews had seized them in Esther chapter 8, verse 17. They possibly feared that the Jews would go on a rampage against all non-Jews and not just defend themselves from attackers due to the marked rise of anti-Semitism in the land under Haman's influence. Chapter 9 describes the battle. The Jews defend themselves from those who were seeking their destruction. Five hundred men in Susa plus the ten sons of Haman are killed. Ancient cultures recognize the threat that surviving family members of those who are killed often rise up to take vengeance. King Xerxes grants Esther's request that the ten sons of Haman hang on the gallows as a royal plea that the anti-Semitic attacks stop. Mordecai records that a holiday be established in remembrance of the deliverance from the evil plot of the enemy. For Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the adversary of all the Jews, had schemed against the Jews to destroy them and cast poor, that is the lot, to disturb them and destroy them. But when it came to the king's attention, he commanded by letter that his wicked scheme which he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim 
after the name poor, and because of the instructions in this letter, both what they had seen in this regard and what had happened to them. Esther chapter 9, verses 24 through 26. Each year they were to celebrate these days in the month of Adar as days of feasting and joy and giving gifts to the poor. The ten banquets are, number one, the king's 180-day banquet to display the glory of Persia's wealth and power in Esther chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Number 2, the seven-day feast for all the people of Susa in Esther chapter 1, verse 5. Number 3, Queen Vashti's feast in Esther chapter 1, verse 9. Number 4, Esther's coronation feast in Esther chapter 2, verse 18. Number 5, Haman and King Xerxes have a private dinner as the empire reels with confusion in Esther chapter 3 verse 15. Number 6, Esther's first banquet in Esther chapter 5 verses 5 through 8. Number 7, Esther's second banquet in Esther chapter 6 verses 14 through chapter 7 verse 9. And then eighthly, the good news of Mordecai's exaltation and new commandment causes feasting and celebration in Esther chapter 8 verse 17. Number 9. The day after the battle, the fourteenth day of Adar, there is feasting and joy throughout the empire. And then number 10. All the people of Susa celebrate their victory on the fifteenth day of Adar. So there are ten feasts in all. The God who reveals his counsels, attributes, and purposes in the scrolls is the hidden hero of the book of Esther. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Behind the scenes, God is at work, turning the tables and reversing the curse. With poetic justice, Haman is cast out of the highest office in the Paradisio of Susa, even as was Adam in the Paradise of Eden. He is put to death on the very instrument he designed for Mordecai, even as the serpent Satan, with the rule of sin, is put to death on the very cross he designed for the Son of God. As Mordecai was raised from his humble state of sackcloth and exalted to the highest office in the palace, Jesus is raised from his humiliation and death and is clothed in glory and honor to rule in such a way that the law is fulfilled. Those who once lived under condemnation and in the fear of death are now free to defeat their enemies. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Chapter 10 of Esther foreshadows the authority, strength, and greatness of this greater Mordecai. A new man is on the throne. Reading this book with new eyes, may we glorify our Lord Jesus Christ, the greater Esther, the greater Mordecai, and the true King of Kings. Now let's move on to our reading from the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're picking up where we left off yesterday with verse 27, and we'll read through to the famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way, the way of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, 
And if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And this concludes our reading of today's New Testament portion from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. We have been reading in the New Testament how the Holy Spirit gave the gift of tongues, literally languages, to the early church. In the context that we know of in the Bible, it is the ability to communicate in intelligible languages that the speaker has never before learned or spoken, and yet that language would be understood as the native language of its hearer. What a wonderful witness this was to the fact that God speaks in every person's heart language and that the gospel is not bound to one particular language or culture. The people who came from afar to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost heard the praises of God proclaimed in their hometown dialects. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Acts chapter 2, verse 6. Paul gave instructions to the Corinthians as to how this gift would be used for building up believers in the local assemblies. Paul made it clear that by this time in the history of the church in Corinth, tongues were one of the lesser gifts and a sign for unbelievers, not believers, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 19-22. through 22. Some people believe that this gift has passed away completely. The Bible does not explicitly indicate that. It certainly was a permissible gift to be exercised by the Corinthian church at the time in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 39. Nor does the Bible teach that speaking in tongues is certain evidence of regeneration, sanctification, or being filled with the Spirit. Speaking in ecstatic utterances was common in the pagan temples at Corinth, even as it is in cults today, such as Mormonism, Hinduism, the Way International, etc., in these matters, we adhere to what scriptures make plain, and we cannot be dogmatic about what the scriptures do not clearly teach. 1 Corinthians 13 was not put in the Bible as something Paul intended the Corinthians to read at weddings. No, according to the context of the letter, he was showing them how to behave as they gathered together for public worship. Their love for one another should mirror the love that they have found in Christ. Instead of their prideful boasting and one-upmanship, glorying in their giftedness or status, they should recognize how the indwelling life of Christ behaves. We can read 1 Corinthians 13 and substitute our name or the name of any other human being for the word love, and it proves false. However, if we put Christ's name in place of the word love, it rings true. The Bible tells us that we have a new life in Christ. Christ is our life. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, 
The Holy Spirit sheds His love abroad in our hearts. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, let His love rule your heart. Now to today's reading in the book of Psalms, Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. He will not forsake His saints, a Psalm of David. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. This is another acrostic poem, with each stanza beginning with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. What is the message? Don't desire the lifestyle of those who are lost. Do not fret because of them. Do not be envious of their apparent success. Like green grass, they will wither and die. Instead, trust in the Lord and do good, in verse 3. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He will do it. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Now to today's reading from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 21, verses 23 and 24. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. In the book of James, we learn that the tongue is the hardest muscle of the body to control. If it does not come under the Spirit's influence, it will cause trouble. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, we read, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Verse 24 helps us to recognize the folly of pride. It refuses to submit to God and scoffs at those who would offer Him wisdom. Let's take some of the insights we've gleaned today to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, you have proved throughout history that you are sovereign over all. What you have promised, we can be sure will come to pass. Your purposes cannot be thwarted. We know that you cause all things to work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. The poetic justice demonstrated in the book of Esther, in which the enemy, Haman, was destroyed on the instrument he designed for the destruction of the promised seed, gives us a prophetic picture of our deliverance through the work of Christ on the cross. Continually remind us of your gospel of grace. Keep us from envying the prosperity of the wicked. Fill us with your spirit and a love for your word that our affections will be forever set upon you. Help us to love others as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that wraps up our time together in our one-year Bible trek. We hope that you can join with us tomorrow. If you have any questions or comments or insights you'd like to share with us, you can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to know more about our ministries or would like a written copy of our commentary on each day's Bible reading from the One Year Bible, you can subscribe at our website, newlife.org. 
So until next time, may you continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Shalom.